0: Last week we started a series on the type of church God uses, and we started about health and balance. You know, you want to have a healthy church, a healthy church is balanced, a healthy church is looking at Scripture and asking, what does God want us to do as a church? And then doing those things. And we talked about the church exists for worship, so we want to have a great worship experience. I hope you enjoyed worship this morning. When you read about the Bible, it talks about connecting and friendship building. So we talked about that. We talked about how a healthy, balanced church is trying to grow spiritually as individuals. So you do Bible study. You do things. You encourage. We encourage everybody to read their Bible and apply it to their life. Those type of things. We talked about how a healthy church is a church where the members, you're using your gifts and talents for God. God. Not just for work, but for God as well. Like, how can I use my gifts? How can I use my talents? How can I use the things that I'm good at doing for God? Like you saw the worship team. You know, they're using their gifts and talents for God. Children's workers. Everybody, in any way that you like to serve. Some people like to do more helps type of stuff. Working on the building. Whatever type of thing it is, but you're using it for God some way, in some way. And then we said a healthy church draws people to God, not just taking us and helping us to take steps closer to God in our walk, but also evangelism, meaning there's people in the world that don't know the Lord, and we want them to know it. We want them to know him in a personal way, so we reach out in ways to draw them in. So we talked about that last week, about when a church is focusing on these five things, those are the five things that you read about in the Bible that the church is about, So when a church is focusing on these five things, it creates health. But today I want to talk about something else related to this, because I still believe a church can focus on those five things and not really be healthy yet. Because there's another factor that you see in all healthy churches, and that's people that are not afraid to believe God. People that believe in a big God for big things. God does expect us to have faith. And he wants us to believe in him for something big. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to rely on him. He wants us to try to do something that we know we can't do so that we have to rely on him. You know, he wants us to shoot for something bigger than what we think we have the ability to do. And not just a church. This is in your regular life. He wants you to believe that your marriage can be better than what it is. And he wants you to risk for something bigger to make it better. He wants you to believe that you can do better at work. He wants you to risk. If you own a business, he wants you to believe there's ways that we can do this better. He wants you to risk and always try to be the best you can be. It's with every aspect of your life. It's like setting goals that you know I can't do, but with God's help, it can happen Now, there's a church in Korea, Pastor Cho, that his church grew, grew, grew to a point. It peaked out at 750,000 people a weekend. 750,000 a weekend. That's unbelievable. I can't imagine that. But what I'm trying to say is this. We all need to have faith that God can do big things. Does God want our church to have 750,000 people? I, I don't know. I don't know. I know that God wants us to reach people for Christ. I know God wants us to love Him with all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. I know that God wants us to love our neighbors as ourself. I know that God wants us to care about every family in this church. And, and I know that God wants us to care about every family in the community that we can reach out to you because we're supposed to be like Christ to the world. We're called the body of Christ. So, there's four ways that we can demonstrate our faith. One is in your notes, God uses the church that has a dream, a vision, a goal. God uses the businessman that has a dream, a vision, and a goal. The teacher that has a dream, a vision, and a goal. The person that wants to take that next step. Look at Proverbs twenty-nine, eighteen. Without a vision, the people perish. Nothing happens until the church has a vision, a dream. Every good thing starts with an idea. Somebody first has to have the idea that it's possible. When Edison invented the light bulb, or the kind that we use today, he had to believe that it was possible to even try. The truth of the matter is if you did not believe it was possible, you wouldn't even try to do it. Why would he try to create a light bulb if he thought it was impossible? He first had an idea, I believe this can happen, and then he pursued his vision, he pursued his dream, he pursued his goal to make it a reality. And now throughout the world almost everybody is going to use a light bulb today, you know, wherever you go. But it didn't get accomplished because he was shooting for nothing. It got accomplished because he had a goal, and he's trying to get it accomplished. I'm shooting for this. What can I do to make this happen? What can I do to accomplish this goal? We want to do something so amazing that God gets the credit. Think of your personal life. Is there anything that you're doing in your life that you're shooting for something bigger than yourself so that if it happened, you could say, wow, that was a God thing. Wow, that was a God thing. One of the reasons why people don't see God doing things in their life is They don't have that door open. They've never attempted something greater than themselves. They like to play it safe. You know, if I play it safe and I'm in control, okay, I can do this. So you shoot for something you can do. Well, that doesn't build your faith. The only person that gets the credit is you. God wants you to build your faith and shoot for something bigger. We need to do that as a church in our own personal lives. It's part of being a follower of God. We can't delegate our faith to other people. I'm relying on other people to have faith. I'm relying on other people to believe in something big for my marriage or for my family or for whatever it is, for my business, for the church. No. Each of us have to be be people of faith. We have to be people that trust God. See, when you have a goal, a goal is a statement of faith. One of the goals I have right now is it's not a huge goal. It's like the first step. One of the goals that I have right now is, I think, I want us to be able to reach out into the community and and bring people in. And I want us to be a church that, this first step is that we're averaging 300 people. Now, why would that be a first step goal for me? Because when a church gets to about 300 people, you have enough people that you can do a full on something for the youth, a full ministry for the children. You can do more outreaches to the adults, like small groups and stuff, because you have more people that are willing to lead those things. You know, a group of 300 people is enough people that you can actually do all the things that you can imagine that you want a church to do because you have the team to make it happen, okay? But it's a goal. But to set that goal, you have to believe that God can make it happen. You have to believe it. Because the truth is, If you don't really believe God can do it, you won't set a goal like that. Maybe you set no goals at all. Because you say, well, I know God, I believe God can do this. And I like the church. I wrote an email to everybody and I said, this last year has been the best year of my whole life as a pastor. It's my favorite year. And we've had some good years. But this last year has been my favorite uh, year. It isn't the year that we've had the most amount of people But the relationships here, are it's the best it's ever been. And I just love this church. But it's easy in a situation like that to say, so my goal is to keep things like this. But no, because that's something we already know how to do. We're doing it. That means that I'm not putting any faith into God for something like bigger. You always want to be believing in God for something bigger than what you're seeing right now. So Bigger in a variety of ways. It could be numerical. It could be like more people studying the Bible and reading the Bible on their own. You know, you you have a variety of different types of goals for different reasons. So goals are statements of faith. And you set a goal and you're saying, I believe that God can make this happen. And you want to set a goal beyond what you think you can do. If I can do this, I think God can do that. Now, obviously, you know that God can do way more than any goal that you're setting to Ephesians 3.20. It says, God is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. So we know that God can do more than I could even dream of. And come on, we can have some big dreams. I can dream of us having a church of 750,000 people. I mean, that's something, because it's already happened, I know, it can, I know it's possible for something like that to happen somewhere because it's happened somewhere. You can have that dream. You can, And even with that, it says God can do more than that. So obviously, God can do things that you could never even imagine. But what I'm trying to say to you is this. For your sake, you need steps. You need steps. If you're running a business... You look at where your business is, and you have a dream like, you know what? I believe God can take us this next step. And you work hard to get there. Then you think, wow, it happened. Thank you, God. Now that we're here, I think God can get us here. And then you work hard, and you do it, and it's step by step by step. It's like, how did the ant eat the elephant? One bite at a time, right? It didn't happen all at once. It can't. Proverbs eleven twenty seven. This is what God says in his word. If your goals are good, you will be respected. If your goals are good, you will be respected. I know for sure since it's in the Bible, God respects it. If you have good goals, God respects that. If you're saying, I have this type of goal for my family, how about for your finances? Have goals for your finances. Maybe you're living somewhere you don't want to live, but that's where you are now. But you have a goal to move to this other place, to a nicer place, to a nicer home, whatever it would be. But you have goals and you have dreams and you believe God for it and then you attempt it. It makes no difference what kind of goal you have for your life, for your business, if you're not going to try to do it. Then why bother? You have to attempt it. You're going for it. Why not believe in God for something good and better in some area of your life. Maybe it's a physical goal. I want to lose this much weight. Or I want to start exercising and be able to lift this much weight. Or whatever. Be having goals. A health goal. It doesn't matter where it is, but you want to have goals in your life that's stretching you. I've asked people to do this a lot. Ask yourself If you were guaranteed success, it's a guarantee. Okay, you're going to have success. So you're asking yourself, if you were promised that you are guaranteed to have success based on your gifts and talents. Think of what your gifts and talents are. Based on your gifts and talents, what would you attempt? If you're guaranteed success, like if God were to say, I promise you, you're going to be successful. Based on your gifts and talents, what would you attempt What would you attempt? Well, the answer to that is probably what you should be attempting. Because based on your gifts and talents, I think God wants to help you succeed. So take steps of faith and say, based on my gifts and talents, if I was guaranteed success, I would try to do this. Then start trying to do that. That's a good way to understand what God wants you to do with your life. Here's where the problem comes in. Here's the mistakes. Most people, our goals are too low. And we think we're going to get there really fast. Okay? It never happens fast. I look at it like uh, in the plant life, the mushroom's goal is to be a mushroom, right? And it takes, what, six hours for a mushroom to come from nothing to a mushroom. Just six hours. You can go to bed at night, get up in the morning, there's a mushroom in your yard. Because it only takes six hours. But if your goal is to be an oak tree, you know it takes 100 years basically to build a really solid, huge oak tree. It's like, what kind of life do you want? What kind of life? What are you shooting for? If your goal is something that you can do in six hours, then why bother making it a goal? Don't waste your time, just get out there and do it. Don't write it down. But if you want to be an oak tree, okay... There's some things that, wow, to have success, that could take 100 years. It could outlive me. If you run a business, I think it's good to have goals that will outlive you. You have the step that you're going to take. This is what we're focusing on now. But you have a goal that would outlive you. That for this to happen, I'll be dead and gone before that ever happens. But I'm getting us in that direction because I'm shooting for something big, I want to trust in God for something bigger than what I can do. And you'll be amazed at what God does if you're willing to do that. In your notes, it says three parts of getting God's vision for your life. Number one is what? God shows me what he wants me to do. How do you know it? Like, God, show me what you want me to do. You pray. You seek God. But like I said, you look at your gifts and talents Because who gave you the gifts and talents that you have? God did. God gave you spiritual gifts that you you know He just gifted you with them. That's S, H. He gave you a heart's passion. There are people that have a heart's passion for things. Like you, you, you could be a gifted teacher, but your heart's passion is for elementary school students. So you can't just say, "Hey, I'm a gifted teacher, so I'm going to teach college students." No, because you might be miserable there. Where's your heart's passion? So you have spiritual gifts, that's S. You have H, heart's passion. You have A, abilities. Everybody here has different abilities. P, everybody has different personality type. E, experiences. Everybody has past experiences. That spells the word shape. Everybody in this room is shaped to do something for God. God gave you all those things. So what you do is you look at your shape. How am I wired? How am I gifted? You think, what does God want me to do? If you really seek that in prayer, you'll know. But here's what happens is we discover what God wants us to do, and then so we'll go out and do it, and then it fails. And we're thinking like, what's wrong? I really believe it's something God wants me to do. Why is it failing? Part of that failure that you're dealing with is it brings you to the next thing, which is how. You can know what God wants you to do and not know how to do it. And how is learned? You can learn somehow through the books that you read. You can learn some through conferences and seminars and talking to people. But probably the number one way that you learn how to do something successfully is through trial and error. You try it, and it's not working. So you learn, okay, that didn't work. What are you getting? You're getting an education. Education. See, here's where people make a mistake. They feel like God wants me to do something. They, I know what I should do. I try, and it doesn't work out the way I thought it would. So I think, well, apparently God didn't really want me to do it. No, what God didn't want you to do is give up. That's what God didn't want you to do, is give up. Where's your character? What type of person are you? you have a little problem, so you quit? Do you have a problem in your marriage, so you quit? Is that what the type of character I am? Little problem here, so I quit? I have a problem with a boss at work, so I quit. Is that the type of person I am? That matters. That matters. Your character really matters. So how? So you're learning how to do it. So you might know the what. It might take eight years to learn how. It might take 10 years to learn how. The average person that becomes a multimillionaire, or today probably billionaire, they've had a lot of failures from age 20 to 40, but they don't believe it's a failure. They've had a lot of education from ages 20 to 40 where they tried this, it doesn't work, they tried that. They've learned all the things that don't work. They've eliminated it down to something that's successful. The most successful people make a lot of errors. That's how they learn. Here's the difference. They don't give up. They don't, they don't think of it as a failure. They think of it as, wow, I'm learning. Let me, let me learn more. Okay, that didn't work. Let me learn more. And then you can know the what and the how, and you attempt things and sometimes it still doesn't work. So I know what to do. I know what I'm wired to do. I even know how to do it. Now, why isn't it working? There's another factor, and that's when. When. Timing is everything. You can be gifted to do something, but timing is everything. I'll just give you just a, just a simple, simple thing that everybody can understand from a pastor's point of view. I know that advertising our church is a good thing. And I know timing is everything. So when I send out a postcard, I know the best time to do that is right before Easter, right? Because I could do a postcard and having a, sending a postcard out could be what I should do. And I can know how to put the right stuff on the postcard. But the win, if I send it out in the middle of summer when half the people are gone doing everything else, It might be what I should do. It might even be how I should do it. But the timing's wrong and it does not work. But you do the same exact thing right before Easter and people come and check out the church. Because I knew what to do. I knew how to do it. The matter is you also have to know when. So the same thing with your life. You have to know when. You can know somebody. I love that person. They love me. We know what we need to do. We need to get married. But there's a timing when, for some people, the wisest thing is, we need to get married, but I'm going to get a job because I'm a couple of years older than you and get established while you finish your degree. And then afterwards, let's get married. Sometimes the win is very important. You know, the timing. Sometimes it, it could be a good idea, but if the timing's wrong, it might really mess you up. If the timing's right, it can be really good. So it's not that God doesn't want you to do it. You know your gifts and talents. God wants you to do it, but timing does count. So you want to know, what am I supposed to do? How do I do it and when? Then number two in your notes, God uses a church that's willing to risk failure. A church that's willing to take risk. God will use you in whatever you're doing if you're willing to risk. It takes risk to succeed with things in life. You can't always pay it safe. Now, I don't like this. That's one of the things I hate about success. That anybody that reads the Bible and tells you what success is, and you you listen to people in the world that don't even know the Bible, they'll tell you the same thing about risk. There's always risk involved. You have to be willing to take educated risk. But it's a risk. A lot of times it flops. You know, I don't like this because I want to be able to go for something with no risk. Does not happen, never will. So God uses you if you're willing to risk. When you say I do for marriage, you're taking a risk. When you decide we're going to have kids, you're taking a risk. You don't know what's going to happen. Those kids might go crazy. You don't know. Everything is a risk in life. You don't know. Here's what happens in Acts fifteen twenty six. Here's what it says. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Men who have risked their lives, basically for God, is what it's saying. And I say, do you have goals? Do you have any goal in life that you're willing to risk your life for? Is there anything that you're living for that you're willing to risk your life for? I don't think you're alive if you don't have something that you're willing to die for. There's something that you're not willing to die for. So you have to think of that. What am I living for that's worth dying for? And if you can't think of something that's you're living for that's worth dying for, then you probably need a greater cause. A greater cause in your life. I'm willing to die for my family. I'm willing to die for you guys. But you have to have, you have, to have a cause that's worth dying for. What do you believe in that's worth dying for? You know, courage isn't to say, oh, he has no fear. Do you know what you call somebody that has no fear? A lunatic, right? Because if someone doesn't have any fear, you know, they'll jump out of the car while you're going 70 miles down the road, 70 miles an hour down the road, because they don't have any fear. If they have no fear, they'll jump in the cage of a lion or something. I don't know. But you're a lunatic if you have no fear. You know what it is to have courage? Courage is you have the fear, but... In spite of that, you do the right thing anyway. I have the fear. I'm just going to do the right thing anyway. I'm going to fight through it. But I have the fear. I'm scared to death. If you've been in business, you know what this is, where you're on the call and you're trying to close a deal. And this is a big money maker for your company. And you're going to get a commission. And you're talking to your client. And you're trying to encourage them why they should go with your company and not that other one and you're trying to sell yourself, and you're trying to sell the company, and the whole time your heart's going, (coughs) because you think, if I blow this, man, this is going to be really bad for our company. And if I make it, this is going to be the best thing. So you're scared to death. But what do you do? On the phone, you don't act like you're scared to death. When you're talking to the client, you don't say, hey, by the way, I'm scared to death. (laughs) No, you talk with the most confidence that you can, but you're dying inside. And then afterwards, if it works out, you're just so thrilled. And if it doesn't work out, you're, oh, what could I have done different? Courage never means you don't have fear. Courage means that you're going for it in spite of the fear. That's what makes you courageous. If you have no fear, there's nothing courageous about it. I've heard Christians say, when I say Christians, I want to say like people that are missionaries or pastors of churches, I've heard them say things like this. God's never called me to be successful. He called me to be faithful. What that usually means is what they're doing is not successful. And they're trying to feel good about themselves. First of all, it's not biblical. Because God does call you to be successful. Think about the story where Jesus said, he went up to this one guy and gave him five, they called it talents, but it was a a money thing. Five talents of money. And um, the guy worked it. He was a boss. The guy worked it and he invested it in stuff and it came back with 10. He gave the other guy two talents of money. The guy worked it, invested it, came back with four. He gave the other guy one talent of money. He was afraid to risk. What if I go for a risk? What if I try to risk and do something great and it doesn't work? So he just kind of buried the money, waited till the boss came back and gave it back to the boss. He wasn't unfaithful. He gave the money back. You know what I mean? He wasn't unfaithful. And Jesus said, that guy is a Jesus. That's a wicked lazy servant. That guy deserves to be kicked out. Jesus said this. Jesus said that. Wicked, lazy servant. Why? What what made him so wicked? What made him so lazy? Was it because he was unfaithful? Oh, he was faithful. You know what he was? He was unsuccessful. He was unsuccessful. But it wasn't that he was really unsuccessful. The truth of the matter was he wasn't trying to be successful. He was like, I just want to play safe. I don't want to risk. You know, I'm, I want the easy way out. And God says, I can't honor that. I can't honor that. I want somebody that's going to try to do the best I can. I want somebody with enough guts to try, even if you fail. Enough guts to try to go for it, to believe in me, to try to make your life better. So does God expect you as a Christian to be successful? Let me tell you this. God expects you to try to be successful. God expects you to try to be successful. God expects you to attempt it. He expects you to be more than just faithful. He wants you to try to be the best that you can be. There's three approaches to life. You can be a risk taker. Let's try. Let's try something. Because to try something big in a business, you might have to invest money in something. And there's a risk. What if it doesn't work? Sometimes it doesn't work. But you look at every successful business, they have to risk. They have to at least try. Think about it. Even the fact that you're going to rent a place to do something, that's a risk. You're paying rent. You don't know if you're going to have the money. If the business doesn't fly... You know, you might be in a one-year, um, you know, you have a one-year rent agreement. What, what's going to happen? You can be a risk taker. You can be a caretaker. Let me just keep the status quo. Or you can be an undertaker and just let it die. But you can't be all three. God's called you to be a risk taker. You know what I believe Satan's favorite tool is? Fear. This is Satan's greatest tool. He wants you to be afraid to take the step, whatever the step is. You know, for some people, afraid to say, I do. For some people, you know, afraid to have a child, afraid to take that job because of the responsibilities, afraid, you know, whatever it is, Satan wants you to be afraid to try to be better. He does. He wants you to be afraid. He wants fear to rule your decision making. In Proverbs it says, 29, 25, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. The fear of man, why? One of the reasons we're afraid to take a risk is we're afraid if it fails, what's our friends going to say? I don't want to look like a loser. I don't want everybody to think that I'm an idiot. So we're afraid to go for it. We're afraid to, to try as a high school wrestling coach, I see that. One of the reasons why a lot of freshmen never make it into the sport, they start off as freshmen, is the fear of failure. They're so afraid of losing in front of a crowd that they don't even want to get on the mat and try. Okay? It's a fear of failure. They're so afraid that they're going to lose that... Well, let me tell you this. If you don't get on that wrestling mat in front of the crowd and try... You lost. You lost. That's exactly what happened. You lost. There's only one way to win. Get on that mat in front of the crowd and try. Does that mean they're going to win that match? Nope. Nope. They might, they might not. But there's only one way to win. Get on that mat in front of the crowd, in front of your friends, in front of your family, and attempt to win. That's the only way you can get there. If you don't do that, it's a guarantee you cannot win. It's a guarantee that you cannot do it. So you have to try. So you can't worry about what people are going to say. General Patton, when he was talking about General Montgomery, the the General um, Great Britain's general, he said he seems more concerned about not losing a battle than winning one. He was really frustrated with what was going on in World War II there. Because some people are more, so afraid of losing, they won't try to win. Live life not with the fear of man. Live life with the fear of God. What I mean by that is be more concerned about what God thinks about you than what they think. Don't ask yourself, what would they think? Ask yourself, what would God think about this? For some people, the battle is between God and your parents. You're supposed to respect your parents. You're supposed to honor your parents, right? But for some people, the thing is, we're asking ourselves, what would my parents think? And you have to ask, what would God think? And, if, and make sure whatever happens, you do what God thinks. What God thinks. That can be manipulated, like for the teenager that wants to do something wrong or something, I'm not going to listen to my parents, but you know that's not what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter who it is. You want to honor God with your life. You want to make sure, like, God, what do you want me to do? In 1 Thessalonians 2.6, it says, We were not looking for human praise from you or anyone else. They weren't trying to get praise from man. Why are they saying this? Because they were like, we're not trying to get praise from people. We just want to do what God wants us to do. That was the Apostle Paul that said that. There's two ways to eliminate the fear of failure. One is redefine what failure is. Failure is simply not trying. Knowing that this is how I'm wired, this is what I should be doing, not trying. Failure is not when you try and it just doesn't work out. That's an education. Can you imagine Babe Ruth way back in the day, he led the majors in strikeouts. Strikeouts. Not like like Barry Bonds who hit a lot of home runs but, but didn't strike out so much. But Babe Ruth actually led the league in strikeouts. Now, If you introduce this guy and you didn't know who he was and said, okay, this guy strikes out more than anybody in the whole league. Who wants him? (laughs) It's like, oh, I don't think that's the guy we want. But he also led the league in home runs. He was the highest paid. But one of the things that was said about him is he wasn't afraid to swing that bat. He wasn't afraid. In other words, he he was willing to risk the strikeout because he felt like if I can connect, it's going to be worth the risk. And he struck out more than anybody. Number one strikeout king. Nobody thinks of him like that. They think of him as a guy way back in the day that hit a lot of home runs. And he was the highest paid athlete at that time. Not just baseball player, but athlete at that time. Even though you look at him, he doesn't look like he's an athlete, does he? He doesn't look like the most athletic guy. But you have to redefine what failure is. Failure is not trying. So you know your gifts and talents. What do you do? You try. You try. If I'm trying, then I'm not a failure. How about this one? Don't compare yourself to others. In 2 Corinthians 10, 12, it says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. We're not comparing ourselves to those guys. Why? Because when you compare yourself to somebody else, if you're better, what does it build in your life? Pridefulness. Well, does does God want you to be a prideful person? Absolutely not. If I'm comparing myself to somebody else, And they're better than me. What would it build on me? Discouragement. I'm not good enough. I don't want to be prideful. I don't want to be discouraged. God doesn't want me to be prideful. He doesn't want me to be discouraged. So who do I compare myself to? Me. What does that mean? How do I compare myself to me? I say, am I really trying to be the best pastor I can be? Only I know the truth. Only in my heart do I know that. Am I really trying to be the best pastor I can be? Not saying, am I as good as that famous guy over there? Or am I as good as that guy down the street? You know, God doesn't care if I'm as good as the guy down the street or the famous guy. What what God is going to ask me someday is, did you try to be the best you that you can be? Am I trying to be the best pastor I'm meant to be? Are you trying to be the best person that you're meant to be? Are you trying to use your gifts and talents in the best way? Same way with coaching. I'm not supposed to compare myself to the coach on the other team or the coach over there. It's like, am I trying to be the best coach I can be based on my gifts, based on my knowledge, based on my understanding? Am I being the best coach I know how to be? That's what God wants you to do. Don't compare yourself to others. And here's where this comes in. I said, God doesn't want you to just be faithful. He wants you to be successful, right? He wants you to attempt success. And in James 1.9, it says, a Christian who doesn't amount to much in this world should be glad for he is great in the Lord's sight. I think that's where that comes in, is if you're attempting something great and you, inside your heart you feel like, oh, I just didn't accomplish much as I thought I could. Then the question is, did you do the best you could? Did you do the best you could? When I coach, I never tell my guys that you have to win, you have to win, you have to win, you have to win. Now, there are some times that we have a team meeting and we say, to beat these guys, you know, I need you guys to get a pin because I know they're better than the guys. Your goal is to get a pin. Your goal is not to get pinned. That guy's a stud. Just try not to get pinned. We have a strategy. You know what I mean? And I tell other guys, Now, with these two, three matches, it could go either way, so you're going to have to give it your best. But what I ask them when they come off the mat, I shake the hand, and I say, did you give me your very best? That's all I ask them. If they say, yes, coach, I don't care if they won or lost. If he said, no, coach, I I did this or whatever it is, then I say, okay, then this week we're going to work on that. But all I'm asking them to do is give me their very best. I don't care if they got pinned. I don't care. We were in CF Finals last year. And um, so we're going for the championship. My son's a freshman. You know he's, he's just a, you know, he's going against this 18-year-old kid that's ranked third in state, you know. And I told him, your goal is not to get pinned. When I'm telling him that, he's going to get pinned, you know. <laughs> I already know that, you know. But your goal is not to get pinned. We're relying on you. Come on, son, we're relying on you, you know. But he got out there, and he got pinned in about 30 seconds. And, and he... And uh, I shook his hand and I said, did you give me your very best? And he said, yes, dad. And I said, fantastic, good job. You know, they went back there and it didn't matter how hard he tried, he was going to get pinned by that guy. You know, but you just encourage them, but you give them goals. But if they did their very best, you're happy. You're happy. In Galatians 6, 4, each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. You can take pride in yourself why I did my very best. Notice how it's not I'm taking pride in myself because I hit more home runs than that guy. It wasn't comparing himself to somebody else. It was comparing himself to me. Did I do the best I can do? Yes, I really. I gave it 100%. And I can, be a, I can feel good about that. Goals should be based on what we believe God can do. What we believe God can do. We want to rely on God. We want to shoot for big things. We want to trust Him for things. i have said, let the size of your God determine your goals. So let's take a church, for example. A church, one of the things we want is people to know God. So we, we could say like this, you know, we have a goal that we're going to see thousands and thousands of people coming to the Lord, you know, thousands and thousands. You really don't know if that's what God's plan is. You know what I mean? You don't know if that's God's plan. God's plan might end up being that we start a church over there, we get a church going over there, and it could be like 100 churches of 100 people. I mean, you don't know what God's plan is, but you know that God wants people to come to him. We know that God wants marriages to get healed. You know that God wants teenagers that are using drugs to be reached. We know that God wants people that are struggling with alcohol to get the help that they need. We know that God wants people that are spiritually lost dealing with guilt and regret and shame to understand that they're forgiven and a new start. We, we know what God wants to do. We know what we're to do as a church. And so you have a big goal thinking, you know, our goal is to reach, like, as long as there's some, a person out there that's breathing and hurting, our job's not done. If there's one person within, you know, 20 miles that's alive and hurting, our job's not done. You want the, the goal to be outrageous because you're believing in God, but your daily steps is, what do we need to do now? And then you really let God take care of the results. But are we doing the best that we know how to reach that super huge goal? Yes, this is what we need to do right now. And you, give, you let God take care of the results. You don't even worry about the results. That, that's his business. You just make sure that you're doing what God's called you to do, and that's how you live a successful life. Number three, God uses a church that expects to grow. In Philippians 1.20, it says, I expect and hope that I will not fail Christ in anything, but I will have the courage now to show the greatness of Christ in my life here on earth, whether I live or die. It's like expecting success with your business, with your family, with your marriage. Do you expect it? Are you expecting God to do something great? Because look at Matthew 9.29. According to your faith, it will be done to you. So I want, to ha- I want to expect great things in my marriage. I want to expect great things in- with my kids. Because if it's according to my faith, then I want to have a faith that expects great things. I want to expect great things with the church. I want to expect great things with coaching. I want to expect great things in my relationships. You know, I want to expect great things to happen. And even if something se- seems impossible, I don't want to believe it's impossible. I don't want to believe it's impossible, because I want to believe that God's bigger than that. It might not be his plan, and that's for him to decide. But as far as I'm concerned, it's not impossible. As far as I'm concerned, I'm going to do what I think I need to do to head in that direction. Okay? But I don't want to have that mindset like, we could never do that. Once you say that, you know what happens? You can never do it. Because I guarantee you, if we really believe we cannot do it, we will not try. I want to believe that God's way bigger than me and you. So he's big enough, so let's try. Let's try and let him decide yes or no. But let's try to do good. Let's try. I'll plan a marriage seminar. I've done this before, and we advertise in the community and everything. You know what my hope and dream is? That we'll have 10,000 people come. That's my hope and dream. Wouldn't it be great if 10,000 married couples came and heard a seminar and it blessed their marriage? But that's not what happens. We get, you know, like maybe uh, 12, 15 couples from our church and maybe three couples from outside the church that got the advertisement and showed up. But if you ask me, what am I hoping for? What am I wishing for? What am I, yeah, I I want everybody to hear this. But I believe God's going to bring who he wants here. That's what I believe. God's going to bring who he wants, but I'm going to advertise it to everybody as if I believe everybody needs to hear this. Because why bother then? If you're going to teach it, if you don't think it's good for everybody to hear, why waste my time? Do you know what? There was a survey done about what people respect in others. One is they respect people that have a sense of humor because they want you to be real and fun. But the other thing was... People respect people that have a challenging goal, a challenging goal. So you want to have a goal in life that's challenging. If you're the boss of your work, if you're the owner, you have people working for you, you'll get more out of them if you're challenging them with goals. They're trying more because they want, really, people want to be significant. People want to say, my life is counting. People want to go to work and feel like they're making a difference. And when you challenge people with goals, it helps them. Number four, God uses a church that never gives up. This is saying, you know, keep going. Have an extraordinary amount of determination. Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't give up. Do everything on your part to make your marriage as good as it can be. Do everything on your part to make your parenting as good as it can be. Don't give up, you know, like, oh, it's not working. My teenager would never listen to me. Why bother? No, do everything on your part to try. to Do everything on your part at work. You know, don't give up. Do your part. You can't be responsible for what they do. If they don't do their part, shame on them. That's their fault. But you do everything you can so at least you know I'm trying the best I can to make things work. I found a survey. I was shocked. The average person is related to church. The average person that leaves a church is because they were offended by two or three people. And the other 98 or 97 people in the church they actually like. Can you believe that? As a pastor, that was like, whoa. So two or three people they didn't like at the church. The other 98, 97 I like but I'm not going back because of those guys. That's ridiculous, right? I want us to be the most loving church, but I'm going to tell you what, don't let that ever be who we are as a church. I, I'm just like, is that really true? Is that, and they, you know, that's what the statistics were showing. So um, it made me think of Churchill's famous speech. I memorized his speech. Have you ever gotten a speech and memorized it word for word? Okay, Winston Churchill, I'm going to say his speech right now. He said, he gathered them together and he said, never give up, never give up, never give up. That was his whole speech. I got memorized. Yeah. Uh, I've memorized at least one speech, okay? But, but that's what it makes you think of. Don't let, don't give up. You know, don't know how to say I quit. You just keep trying. In Proverbs twenty four sixteen, for though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. What is that teaching us? It's saying don't give up. Keep trying, keep trying. So think of your dream. Think of your passion. Think of your gifts and talents. Think of what you want to do at your job. Think of what you want to do for God. And say, I'm going to try, and when it messes up, I'm not going to, be a, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to adapt it. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes you attempt something for God, and later on down the road, as you're learning, you start realizing, I think I'm really more wired for this. I don't think that's giving up. That's just learning more about yourself. You know? So sometimes you're learning more like, oh, I want to do this. And then you learn more about yourself. and then, I'm really wired like this. Okay, don't feel bad about changing because of your understanding yourself more and more. But feel bad about giving up. Feel bad if you say, well, I feel like God really wanted me to do this, but I just quit because I wasn't having enough success. No, you keep trying. Don't give up. When you believe God for something great, there's five things that will probably happen. One is you'll be criticized. So get it in your mind. If I try to do something good, somebody's going to criticize me. And not just people that don't have faith. Do you know who, this is so bad, but sometimes the people that you get criticized the most by are Christians. You can never do that. Now this is supposed to be someone that believes in a big God because if you're a Christian, you're supposed to believe that God can do great things, right? Right? You're supposed to use, believe that God uses ordinary people like us because in the Bible, you know those people were really messed up and God used them, and they're our example. So it, it's shocking when it comes from Christians, but I'm just telling you, it could even be a Christian friend that, uh, that criticizes you for trying to do something good. You could never, never do that. The second thing is you have problems that, are, that you can't solve, and all you can do about it is pray. If you're really going for something like, these are my gifts and talents. You're going to get into a problem and oh, how, and all you can do is pray and wait. Pray and wait. I want to do it, but God, I, there's, this, I, I, there's this barrier. And sometimes what if you had to pray and wait eight years before God opened up the door? Are you willing not to give up? Because you believe that that's what God wants you to do. Another thing is you're going to make dumb mistakes. Because here's what happens. You understand this is what God wants me to do. You know that he's blessed you to go for it. Then you go for it and you still make dumb mistakes and it slows down the progress and it messes things up and you have to try over. What I'm telling you is you're still human. That doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to do it. It just means that you're, you're going to be revealed of your dumb mistakes and you say, okay, it's not that God doesn't want me to do this, but God does want me to mature. I'm just immature. I, I've got to change this, this area of my character or else I'm never going to be successful. Because sometimes you mess up because your character still needs changing. And it doesn't mean God doesn't want you to do it. He wants you to work on your character. Uh, Number four, the dream uh, will be so big, you're bound to fail unless God does a miracle. Because if God wants you to do something you want to do, if it's from God, then you need to set a goal greater than yourself or else there's no faith. You know, the Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. So I can do this. Okay, then double it. Whatever it is, you know, have a goal that's farther than what you feel like you can do. And uh, so you have to rely on God. And then when you get there, you know what would happen? You and your heart would know, wow, that was God, because I just don't, I'm just not that good at that. Then number five, others will take the credit for your work. When you do something good, somebody else is going to want to take the credit, you know. Uh, and you know what you have to do is just ignore it. God will use people that don't care who gets the credit. I'm doing it for God anyway. I don't care who gets the credit. That's on them if they're doing that. They're just uh, uh, immature or whatever they're doing. But, you know, don't let that ruin you. But that's what people do. And if you know these things going in, go for it. Go for it. But understand how people are going to be. You You know, grace, God's grace is that he allows us to experience wonderful things that we didn't have the ability to do. and Then you experience it, and it builds you up, and you feel good about yourself, and you feel good about being a part of it. But what God's grace doesn't do is make you prideful. If you're getting prideful, it's because you think you did it. That's the difference. If I think I did it, I get prideful. You know, uh, but if I believe God does it, but he did it through me, it makes you humble but very excited about what's happening. You're very excited, like, wow. I never, it's like this. You know that God did it, but you're saying like this, I never thought I could do that. But you know in your head, I didn't think it because I couldn't. It's God that did it. But you're humbled by it because you can't believe that what God's doing in your life. That's what God's grace is. That's part of God's grace. So, with this, I'm asking you. To focus on yourself and say, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? To be the best me that I can be. What do you want me to do? And then I want you to be unleashed. You don't need my permission. You don't need my permission to be what God's called you to be. You just say, man, I'm good for this. You might come to me and say, hey, Jimmy, you know, this is something I'd like to do through the church. Boom. And then I'll help it become a, I'll help. My part, I'll do everything my part to try to make that a reality. But be what God's called you to be. Be unleashed to go for it. Let's pray. Lord, we want to believe in a big God for big things. We want to have a heart for people. Help us to reach out and draw people to you. Help us to be a church where people are brought in, they're built up, they're sent out to bring other people in, build them up, send them out to bring other people in, to build them up, send them out. And Lord, Lord, That happens when each of us have a dream, when each of us in this room look at our gifts and our talents and how you've wired us, and we say, you know what? I'm going to try to be the person you've called me to be. And we step out in faith, and we put our fear aside, and we just trust you. And Lord, we're making a commitment to do that right now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.